<laughs> I saw I miss Arun, man. Yeah, I do too. I, I, he has a. I don't want to tell him that, but he has a lot of value to the show. Come on, he does. I, I mean, know. I know he not, does. Not, not only that, but behind the scenes, like the the time stamping, the um, I'm going through it right now. The show notes and the the, the do the, that that editing that he does. That's like three hours an episode. That's six hours a week. Mm, I mean, this this last one I did has taken me four hours. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the truth as a friend. Yeah, you don't pay very well. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean I don't pay very you well? You got roped into this in hopes of making money. We're like, oh, bro, we're a year in. You make money soon. And then <laughs> just, you know, not now. The trajectory is there, yeah. man. Just come on. Dude, even if we paid him like $250,000 a year, by the time you divide all the hours that he's got in, <laughs> that's like $5 an hour. <laughs> don't worry, bro. We'll give you stock. <laughs> <laughs> Sweat equity. All right. Well, welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. This is the Higher Standard. That is Saeed Omar, and I am Chris. Welcome back to the show, everybody. You sure we're recording? Because I'm not going to do this twice. <laughs> It'd be very <laughs> awkward if we weren't recording. But now I'm pretty sure I made it idiot proof now where everything turns red when I push it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like, red, 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 red. Okay, we good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we start. So, all right. Well, in uh, another one of our. Arun absent shows. Mm. I have come prepared to make sure that everybody feels like he's still here. Oh, me too. Oh, good job. I got one too. Hold on. Hold you on. got one too? All right. Yeah. For Arun. For Arun. They're not not, as, not as crispy it's as It's the his. Red Bull cans. Yeah, dude. the Red Bull cans don't have enough, you know, carbonation. Oh, cheers. Cheers to you. To staying up late and to uh giving Arun more homework when he gets back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was at Shabu earlier, by yeah. the way. He better get ready. Yeah, he he's got he's got some work to do. Mm. Big shoes to fill, his own shoes that he can't wear. He doesn't wear because he's got the ingrown toenail. And thing. he only wears rainbows. <laughs> it's so awkward, but it's true. All right, well, so we've got a bit of an eclectic show for you this week because there are a lot of little things that have happened which are beyond just the economy per se in general. Not a whole lot of economic data that's come out since the last time we recorded. And uh, frankly, some things that really are going to make you go, huh. <laughs> so uh, obviously, we'll lead off with uh, something that I've gone on a rant about recently. There's a whole Airbnb. You want to start there? We can start with the Airbnb thing. We should start there. Okay, we'll start with Airbnb. There's been some developments, and not just in recent days and months, but certainly over the course of the last couple of years. I want to provide some context to some of my criticism. I think a lot of people who are diehard Airbnb fans mm -hmm. are really struggling to understand my frustrations. You, and you mean fans as in from the arbitrage side? Well, I wouldn't call them die-hard fans. I would call them just dead fans. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a guy that I used to listen to that was a New York Knicks fan. Mm -hmm. And he said, I wouldn't consider myself a die-hard Knicks fan. I'm more of a die-easy fan. Yeah, you're already <laughs> dead, bro. Yeah, it's, I've been dead yeah, for, a, for yeah. many years. You ain't one in a minute. Yeah, okay? exactly. And no one's been like, oh, the Knicks, they're great in a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Knickerbockers. <laughs> In any event, we'll talk about uh, the New York, uh, no, no, we'll talk about Airbnb, the New York problem with Airbnb. Then we'll go into a little bit of the conversation about the Fed's beige book at some point in time during yes, the show. and what that means for everybody. WeWork had a bad day. <laughs> WeWork had a bad day. Yeah. To say the least. To say the least. And uh, Roku, uh, well, they don't seem as bad as WeWork, but they certainly had a challenging day, too. They had a challenging day, too, and I think it paints a broader picture of the overall economy. Then, of course, we'll talk about the Fed's Waller, uh, and uh, if there's some time, we've got some extra special goodies that we might drop in between. Mm -hmm. We also got two reviews. We did get two reviews, uh, one of which was simple and easy. Yeah. The other one was a little more complex and robust, and uh, dare I say, latently homosexual? <laughs> it's fine. I'm all for it. Yeah, I had no problem. I was like, agreed. Yeah, thank you for noticing. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been trying really hard to drop the well-placed phallic jokes, and I'm glad that somebody is catching what we're putting out. Right. <laughs> more ways than one yeah. it's sarcasm about sarcasm for the record yeah okay cerebral cerebellum yeah Said gives it to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> so um in case you missed the live before the show we did that as well i should probably point out we've been making a habit we typically record on monday and thursday nights with shows that drop on tuesdays and friday mornings correct now, it's usually four or five days before you get a show, but we record lives before we actually do the shows. And in those lives, we always say, hey, you know, is there something you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. 
One of the things that came up in a DM and also in our live this evening was that people wanted to know about the National Association, the National Association of Realtors lawsuit that's going on. Mm-hmm. The class action lawsuit. I didn't get a chance to read into it, but what's I, going on uh, we're going to read it live. We're going to get into it on the, on the show and talk about a little bit what that means and, and some of the details. But we'll okay. do it collaboratively together because it was such a fresh request. Mm-hmm. But I also want to make sure to acknowledge something that somebody who tuned in live requested. So we encourage positive reinforcement. Yeah, exactly. You Promote know? good behavior. We've got about uh, 17 or 18 people on our lives these days, which is really sad. Yeah. None of the OG original five listeners. Where y'all at? No, well, yeah, no. No, Misa oh, was Misa there. Oh, there. Misa was there. Yeah, yeah she yeah. was there. She was talking to my wife on the live, so she really wasn't there for us. No, no. Very exactly. confusing. All right, let's jump right into Airbnb, shall we? Oh, Odun was on the live, too, and then he jumped off when we requested him to join. Yeah, he's like, hey, guys, love you. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I figured it out. Son of all right, according to The Guardian, New York City's crackdown on Airbnb and short-term rental goes into effect. New regulations expected to affect tens of thousands of illegal short-term listings. Now, that's all well and good. It sounds like a noble cause. I mean, does it make you feel good? <laughs> it makes me feel good that they're attempting to do the right thing. Yeah, look, I get that. I fully respect that. But you're also completely full of shit, New York. Yeah. Come on, you know, this is a tall tale. Yeah, you are just trying to make the voter base happy. Right. But let's be honest, you guys are at those ragers too. Because there's a there's a huge shortage of rental units out there in Manhattan right now, and it's really driving up. They actually hit their all, an all-time high for average rent. It was like $5,600. For, oh, just rental units in general. Uh, in Manhattan. For just yeah, apartment units, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I saw a statistic today. That there's a little over 3,000 homes for sale in the city of Austin, but there are 12,000 available Airbnb units. Who wants to live in a city like that? Uh, about 2 million people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a thing. But, I mean, a lot of these areas where it, if you don't want to sell and you got a low interest rate, Airbnb might be a good way to cover your, your property if you're not selling, right? Yeah. Uh, especially if you want to buy someplace in this market, you need the extra income, right? Especially if you're out there. I mean, a lot of people are going out there nowadays to check on their boy Joe Rogan mm. and the mothership that he created. I, dude, I want to go. I want to go to the comedy club. The I really cool do. Thi- the cool thing about that is I, I think it has a bar attached to it. Misty's. Mitzi's. Uh, Mitzi's, Mitzi's yeah. which, which is a way for him to pay homage to the comedy store out here in L.A. I like saying homage. It sounds homage. sexier. I mean, you just try to sound fancy, bro. Because, You're not that fancy. Yeah, Polly Shore's mom, uh, Mitzi, was the one who broke his career. Got him. Like, broke help, his career. Yeah, help him, well, help break him into the business. Break him in. There you go. She's responsible for a lot of the comedians that you saw yeah. like, these days. But anyway, mm-hmm. new legislation, this new stuff from New York, bulks up enforcement of existing rules on how short-term rentals are allowed to operate. So they're right there, first sentence. Existing rules that clearly nobody gives a shit about. I mean, who's going to enforce this? Well, that is the key question, and we'll get to that towards the end of this whole shtick. But I should point out that New York, while they're getting a lot of attention right now, and even I covered them on social media, they are not the first mover in this space. No, they're not. You were rattling off some uh, some cities earlier in the show. You remember right. that? Yeah, Dallas, Philadelphia, uh, New Orleans mm-hmm. was there. I think you mentioned San Diego. San Diego's a big one, although they delayed the rollout. They're going through a permitting process, mm-hmm. but still not as rigorous as this. The closest city that I've seen that is as close to New York has been Beverly Hills. Okay. And it all comes down to one key part of their qualifications, and that is usually you have to actually live in the property in order to Airbnb it. Mm-hmm. But think about the logistics of that. How the fuck do you prove that? Well, part of it is you can't rent it out to more than two guests. Well, this is new stuff. We'll get into that in a minute. Okay. But just just using Beverly Hills as a proxy. Mm-hmm. If you're in Beverly Hills and your neighbor throws all these raging parties, okay, that's your neighbor. They suck. You got a terrible neighbor. I'm sorry. Yeah. If your neighbor rents it out for these Airbnbs and throws these terrible parties, okay, how do you know they're renting it out? How do you know it's on? Maybe you just find the property on Airbnb. Right. Then, then it says you can only rent it out for a certain number of days per year. Who who monitors that? Exactly. Like, are you sitting there with like a little, you Who's know. Who's keeping tally, yeah. With an abacus? Right. <laughs> abacus. In your backyard. Ah, oh, fucking Tom. <laughs> Spin the beat over to the other side. That's another Airbnb party, Tom. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, how does that work, right? Right. How do you police that? I don't know. So, going on to the article from The Guardian again. 
Passed in January, the measure known as Local Law 18 mandates that short-term rental hosts register with city government. Okay, simple. You register, you get a permit. Fine. Mm -hmm. All well and good. Easy. Okay. Quoting again, registration creates a clear path for hosts who follow the city's long-standing laws and protects travelers from illegal and unsafe accommodations while ending the proliferation of illegal short-term rentals. Proliferation. Translated loosely, there's a lot of these motherfuckers out there. <laughs> a lot of these motherfuckers. Yeah, they're all renting this shit. <laughs> right, okay? Right. We need to get some rules in place because these Airbnbs are like rabbits. They're just yeah. popping up everywhere. Right. Right? I think there are approximately 40,000 of them out there in Manhattan. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. Christian Klossner of the New York City Mayor's Office of Special Enforcement. What do you think he means by special? Yeah. Well, uh, are you not enforcing it very well? You mean like like sarcastic enforcement? Yeah, so what is special enforcement? Yeah, not so real enforcement? Yeah, some of these titles are a little suspect. Very ambiguous. I am the in New York City Mayor's Office special enforcement group. Does he got that badge? I don't know. That's a lot to put on a badge. Right. He said in a statement to The Guardian, so they actually interviewed him directly, legal short-term rentals are properties with no more than two people hosted. Now, I'm confused right off the gate. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, two guests. So two guests or two people hosted or like we can have two people staying two with us at, while you're there? Because that's the host though. Or Right. So if you're living there and you can, apparently you can have more if you're there. But here's the, here's the problem, right? Let's say New York City finds a way to enforce this, and they send somebody down, right? Bro, you're trying to get to the climax of this. Take your time, bro. <laughs> take my time. Take, take your my time. time. Don't, okay, okay. don't be so eager. You're like a 14-year-old right now. You're ready to pop. <laughs> yeah. Just chill. Yeah, yeah. Give, take a deep breath. I don't understand. I don't understand how they're, how they're like what these rules even mean. We're two guests. We're going to get there. First of all, two guests. Yeah, that, that's confusing to me. The host has to reside in the dwelling unit. Okay. Easy, understand. You have to reside there. How do you prove that? Mm -hmm. How are you going to prove Timothy lives in that building or not? Right. Who's going to prove it? It's got to be on their driver's license? Like what? I don't get it. Yeah, I, I'm very confused. And guests must have access to all parts of the home. Wait, and first of all, this is now the second reference you've made with, you know, an example using Timothy. And yeah. Tim, what do you got against Tim? Chiasano. No, 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 not what, Tim Chiasano. Timothy Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Char Timothy Charlemagne, whatever his name is. Charlemagne? The, the, I don't know. Charlemagne I, the God? Yeah, that <laughs> Timothy. No, the, the Timothy that's now dating one of the Kardashians. Oh, yeah, this guy. Who is this guy? I don't know, but you can't go to a Beyonce concert and make out with your girl. Like he's got to know he's being used, right? I don't think he does. I don't think he realizes he's getting stepped on for his celebrity status. Yeah. Oh, he's in Dune. Shit. Yeah. Make out with him in front of Beyonce. Right. She knows. She's on camera all Travis the time. Travis Scott was there, bro. Yeah. He's like, oh, right, you do you. I'll see you like, yeah. afterward. He, he needs to rethink this. Like, how come she only kisses me when we're in public? Why not behind the scenes? And, of course, he touched the booty in front of the camera. Come on. Like, we, we know. Yeah. That's that's a calling card. Too much. Yeah. That's like me farting. Like, Y'all know I do it. <laughs> do they still have their TV show? Who? The Kardashians? I think it's on, like, Hulu or something now. But is that, like, the old episodes? Or Isn't new your episodes? wife really into the Kardashians? No, no. She fell off a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. She fell into whatever this. They, no, I not you. I meant the TV show, but that's fine. Yeah. What is it? McSteamy, McDreamy? Um, oh, no, yeah. She's, yeah. Still, listen, first of all, you can't. I don't remember the name of the show. I want to say Scrubs. You're lucky I don't call it Doogie Howser, bro. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy, bro. Put there some you go. Put some respect on it. Respect uh, on my name. We watched an episode last night. McSteamy came back. Still in season, what, two? <laughs> no, three now. Jesus. Jesus Christ on a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so. Now we got all these complicated rules. You got to live in. Now you got to have access to all parts of the home. So what does that mean? Like if you have a closet that's got stuff there? Because I know you don't. When was the last time you stayed in an Airbnb? It's been a while. But every Airbnb I've ever been to has always had like a closet full of like cleaning supplies and like supplies for the home or maybe some of their personal stuff locked up. Right. And it's because the cleaning crew wants access to that stuff. Right? So this is already out the gate sounds contradictory to me. If you're required to live there. Mm hmm you're going to have your personal shit there. So what are you going to do? Okay, go So on. you're not allowed to lock it up? And Again, who's going to enforce this? Bro, you, you just cannot stop <laughs> yourself on, tonight. Hold on. I'm, I'm busting in. I got to make sure all these doors can open up. Yeah. Like, hey, man, there's a lock on this door. Yeah. It's a bathroom. I want to see what's inside that shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> what a, what? I know there's some towels in there, Timothy. Yeah, what, they, they need access to the extra toilet paper. Yeah. Come on. I mean, if you're staying there for sure, that's what they need. <laughs> Ten times a day. Yeah. You know what? I never got, I never could bring myself to do. You know how, like, you know, Middle Eastern, bro, you grew up in a Middle Eastern household and you grew up with these, like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. water buckets. Because you're supposed to clean yourself after you use you. the restroom. Yeah. But now they've invented the bidet, so. Yeah, but basically it was water in your left hand. And you wiped your booty. Can't use your right hand. Can't use your right hand. That's God's hand. Mm-hmm. But so I grew up with, you know, dad in the household. I could never, even as a kid, when like things weren't gross that are gross. Yeah. I could never bring myself to do that. Really? I don't. Did you ever wipe your anus with your hand? Well, I. I oh, used, you I, did. No, I. You yeah. Dirty birdie. Which sure, hand was it? I don't sure, want to shake that hand sure. again. Which <laughs> hand was it? At least I washed my hands, bro. You don't wash your hands. My body is clean. <laughs> First of all, you don't take nightly showers. And no, no, I do take nightly no, showers. No, you didn't go to the gym today. When so I work tonight, out. So tonight you won't be taking a shower. That is correct. And your your personal investment into my personal hygiene is fucking weird. I care okay? about I care about Joanna and I care about Carter. Bro, I I don't sweat like you. I'm not. Beefy. You're sweating right now on camera. I'm not sweat. I'm moist. There's a difference. Okay, <laughs> my skin is hydrated because I drink a lot of water. There's a difference. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. And I'm on a lot of testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, no. Now, now, ever since they they uh, have like the wipes, come on, man, dude, those are honestly one of the most underrated investments in, in human society. Yeah, when I go to somebody's house and you don't got wipes there, what's going on? See, I know a lot of people like listen to Joe Rogan and you know Jeremy Corbell and all those guys to mm-hmm. talk about aliens and everything else. And they're like, oh, yeah. aliens are really like androids, and they have all these you know metamaterials from different parts of the, you know different parts of the galaxy that they piece together in ways that humans can't do it and they form new, new elements and they, they geek out and i'm like bro i know one thing for sure okay <laughs> aliens have wet wipes <laughs> they have to it's, right it's, it's advanced beyond like our, our own understanding listen if there's ever going to be a first sponsor for the cv for the show <laughs> i hope it's wet wipes wet wipes and testosterone dude wipes yeah dude. <laughs> do they still make those i've seen them at the store do you really yeah man rest in peace remember remember big black from uh uh rob Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what was that show called? Oh, fuck. Uh, man. Rob Diedrich's show. I just can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Where he's, like, Big, Big Black was his best friend and, like, bodyguard right, right, who passed right. away. Right, You ever you ever see the, the episodes where he talked about his man pawn? No. He would take, and he did this on the show. This is not me being graphic. This is what he actually, he used to have a lot of booty sweat. <laughs> so he would take toilet paper and wrap it around his hand and, like, form this big, like, round ball. And he would put it in the crack of his ass. <laughs> and he, would, he left it there? And he would leave it there. And he would walk around. It was his man pond. Come on, man. His <laughs> man pond. Yeah. And he would literally, literally show people how to do it one season. I watched the show. We can't be talking about the dead this way. And I remember, I remember, turn, no, he did this, like, on, it was on camera. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. I remember turning off a TV right afterward and it was like, this guy's brilliant. I'm not watching the show anymore. <laughs> like, I can't figure out if he's a Jedi master yeah. or he's insane. Yeah, he knows like, what he's doing. Like, it was, it was crazy. He spoke about it so colloquially and explained it. And Rob is in the background going, yeah, he does it all the time. It makes sense. Like, he does this. <laughs> you're just like, you want to try baby powder? Who, by the way, I had no idea how, um, how bright this guy Rob is. Oh, he's an incredible entrepreneur. Very yeah. savvy. Yeah, very savvy, very savvy. And manages his time to a T. Yeah, but he—he he, the crazy part about him that most people didn't realize was he was very entrepreneurial very early on in his career. Mm-hmm. He took the MTV gig because he knew all of his existing sponsors from being a pro skater would pay him more money. And then he negotiated with them early on, very like before the show even aired, that he could bring on people on his own and highlight the brands and there was no relationship to the television network whatsoever. He, he brought them viewers. He brought the audience, the sponsors that wanted to be on his show and be seen as his brand independent of his existing sponsorships paid him money to be on the show. And he got that money direct. Wow. I mean, he worked out so many fine nuances like that. It's impressive, but I will say it's, it's a bizarre thing for a skater like him to be so entrepreneurial it's almost like he missed his calling because he got into skateboarding, if that makes sense. It, for me, it, it what it says is he understands that time is of the essence and he didn't know how long this run was going to last for. So let me go ahead and capitalize now while I can. And he probably didn't realize that this would ultimately roll over, you know, and spill over into other things. Yeah, very underrated. And he's got a wonderful branding on social media now. His, whoever does his branding and his social media assets, fucking great. Yeah. But uh, let's finish the Airbnb thing. Keep getting me off topic talking about man ponds and shit. 
Under the tighter regulations, eligible hosts must prove they live in the dwelling they are renting out and that the home is up to municipal safety codes and other regulatory requirements. Okay. So you got an inspector who comes and tests for safety. That That's all reasonable. I'm with that. I'm with that too. Make mm-hmm. sure there's no cameras looking at me naked. Especially given my last Airbnb experience. Yeah. I get that. You know, your pool filter's not working. Yeah. No, AC. You could have died, bro. AC, bro. We're <laughs> in the desert. I know. I get it. Hosts in violation of the new legislation could face fines from $1,000 to $5,000, which when you consider some of these apartment units in New York, that might be on the low side. Well, it's per violation. Per violation. So that could rack up. Yeah. It could be very costly. So I'm not, nothing they said so far is disappointing. It's Mm -hmm. just, let's play this out logically. Platforms like Airbnb and VRBO are required to make sure anyone using their platform in New York follows the city rules. Okay. So New York said, Fuck it. We can't enforce this. I got a really an idea, Saeed. Mm-hmm. We're going to have them enforce their own. They're going to self-police. Yeah. Let me get this straight. The company that's getting a commission renting these things out is now responsible for making sure that people are following the rules. Mm. Really? Yeah. That's like a fighter's team doing his own drug testing. It'd be interesting. Do you think they No, nah, man, he's clean. He's, the steroid, the, the urine test came out clean. Yeah, he's fine. If they could hit Airbnb with the violation, go after the deeper pocket, because you know that's what they like to do. I don't know that the city's that complex here. I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is they have no way to regulate this. They go, mm-hmm. okay, you guys allow them to be on your platform to do this. The responsibility's on you. But they're not a government agency. They're not a government-sponsored enterprise. They're, they're just a third-party company. Right, so... I know that there's 40,000 units in Manhattan right now currently. Mm-hmm. And so far, as of August 28th, uh, 3,250 have applied and submitted applications. So this same thing happened in San Diego when last year they tried to they tried to start this. They had to delay it because they just couldn't get the program in place. And there was such little early adoption. And then there was people who didn't want to self-identify. Mm-hmm. Why would I tell the city I'm doing this when they could tell me that I can't do it anymore? Right. Well, um, so 3,250 people have applied. Guess how many have been granted so far? Probably none. 250. Ooh, that's a bad ratio. <laughs> that's a bad, oh. bad ratio. And what, build, and what some buildings are proactively doing is because they don't like it, right? They have their tenants or, you know, their owners of the building that are complaining about these Airbnb units. Right, who who would want that? Especially in New York, you're not living next to people. You're living under and above some people. Bro, I, I have a very different perspective on this, and maybe it's because I'm a dad. But even before then, I had the same perspective. So maybe maybe it's just I'm an asshole. Yeah. Look, zoning is simple. A residential neighborhood is supposed to be residential. It's supposed to be for families, for individuals, people who live there and work there. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be their home. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness originally when the Constitution was written, that meant ownership of property. Okay, that is supposed to be the fundamental part of the American dream. And the people are going to put a hotel in your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. That's what Airbnb is. Right. You're bringing strangers to your neighborhood. Right. And while there's some perfectly well-groomed homes and well-manicured exteriors and properties that are upkept very well, and there's plenty of... Airbnb occupants who are going to be responsible adults with families. I get all that. But that is not what the American dream was. That's not what a neighborhood is. And I understand in New York where there's a lot more density and things are mixed up, it can become a little bit more, I guess, opaque, if you will, and unclear as to tell what zoning is what. The fact of the matter is there are a lot of people to this day who still don't want that as their neighbor. And this Airbnb thing has gotten way out of control for way too long. And I'm not a hater of Airbnb. I I like the model. Mm -hmm. I like the idea. But I think that it's been way, way manipulated because Airbnb only makes more money by getting more people on the platform. Going back to Austin as an example, you got a fucking problem in Austin, especially given where the housing market is today. This could very well be the catalyst for a downfall in the housing market on some level. I'm not saying it will or won't, but it's a problem. And there's always the side of the Airbnb people, and I apologize for the long rant, who says, well, I don't do short-term rental. I only do long-term corporate housing. Bro, it's the same fucking thing, man. (laughs) Right, exactly. And to their point of short-term rentals, anything under 30 days a month, they're Mm -hmm. considering a short-term rental as an Airbnb unit. Right. And another hard thing that 
another reason why it's going to be hard to actually police this is what are you going to do if the owner, because there's some question about does the owner have to stay while the guests are there if there's more than two guests, right? Because, dude, how many how many families travel to New York and they want to stay at, at a place like that, right? Last time my, my family, my wife and I went together with my family, right? we got a beautiful Airbnb right across from Google's building in the in the meatpacking district. Right, and, and I think I remember, didn't you go somewhere in, like, Seattle? Seattle, we had an Airbnb, too, yeah. Right. Um, and so what are you going to do if they call, somebody calls, you know, so some special enforcement agent on them, they come and the owner's not there and they contact the owner and the owner's like, oh, sorry, I was just at the grocery store. Dude, when we were in Japan, we got an Airbnb and, um, it was a residential building and there were signs in a lobby that said no Airbnbs allowed, strictly prohibiting it. And when we got there, I was like, I felt very uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, okay, well, we're here, you know. Hotels were kind of booked up. It was like a special event in the area. That's why we had to get Airbnbs to begin with. And the whole time I was uncomfortable. And I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, it's going to be a problem. It's pretty messed up, man. If I, the community that I bought a house in a couple of years ago, if all of a sudden a bunch of people started renting out their houses, you know, as Airbnb units, I feel like I got the short end of the stick here. Wait, I bought it's not, this. It's not just Airbnbs though. It's also like those rehab, like in-home rehab things that people have. Oh my God, I can't believe Yeah, man. I've heard, I know some friends that have, that live near some of those down in like Southern Orange County. Mm-hmm. Oh man. People will buy homes and then rent out the beds mm-hmm. and, and have it ran as a rehab center. Bro, that is a commercial use yeah. in a residential neighborhood. Not to mention you're putting people, which God, you know, help them. They're getting help and they're doing the right things. That does not belong next to families and kids. I'm sorry. No, it doesn't. And you would need at least some kind of petition with I don't even know how many people to sign off on that in order for me to feel comfortable, right? But they're making money hand over fist with those things because they're just collect. All they care about is the insurance companies paying them out, right? Yeah, the, the ins- it's like Section 8 housing to them that somebody else is paying it for the tenant. And, dude, I, I can't remember the documentary that um, I where I watched this on. But basically what they said is— Why are you trying to sound sophisticated? You know you don't watch documentaries. No, I watch documentaries. But what, what I saw was what some of these people are known to do for these houses, these rehab facilities, they'll keep them for a month or two for however long the insurance will cover, and they'll literally invite somebody to have them relapse so that they have to go back and restart the whole process and then come back just so that they can have that recurring oh, wow. cash. It's Jesus. a dirty, dirty game, man. Yeah, man, and a lot of those are, and that's where, like— I look at morality and I think to myself, here's the thing is is from my perspective, society has had less and less morality because you've seen more and more hustle culture and approach to social media. Yet all the polls that I've seen recently, as far as the younger generations go, suggest that the younger generation would tend to pass up making more money for a more, you know, moral like sourcing uh, of wealth or um, the uh, corporate social governance, the, you know, environmental social governance, ESG. But I don't see that. I, I don't know where these polls are coming from because I don't. I don't see that. Mm-hmm. It's very. It's very weird to me, and I, I don't. I don't. I don't really know. But bottom line, when it comes to Airbnb, the whole thing, like the the model started off well and good, but I think you've got a fundamental problem right now, and it's going against kind of the the moral character, the mor- the moral fabric, if you will, of society in some ways. You could say it's entrepreneurism. You could say it's capitalism. You could say all this bullshit. At the end of the day. Very few people are okay living next to it. Well, and then also at the end of the day, look, rents over there are hitting all-time highs. And it, and it couldn't happen at a worse time. So I get it. It's 40,000 units. But if that much inventory is coming off the market, right, and the average rent right now for Manhattan is $5,600, right? I mean, this is only contributing to the problem. Yeah. So I think I think the main issue here really is them sucking up some inventory off the market. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. But yeah. uh, you want to go beige book? What do you want to do? Let's go beige book. So the Fed's beige book came out today, actually. Mm-hmm. And what this beige book is, is basically a report on what the Fed will be going over at their meeting. This is why This is why it's important, right? And we all, we've discussed time and time again why uh, the Fed meetings are important and what comes out of those Fed meetings. So... They look at all the all the data points that we consistently talk about on the show, the jobs reports, the CPI figures, um, the PCE figures, and the core inflation and all of that. But really what this report does is it gathers all that information, okay, and it puts it in one report for the FOMC members to go over. And 
all the districts, all the all twelve districts across the country are the ones that are reporting their their data points um, across the nation in this report. Mm-hmm. So everywhere from you know San Francisco to Philadelphia to New York to St. Louis, Atlanta, Richmond, the, it goes on and on and on, right? So this is why it, it's it's a big deal, and um, this report looks over all the information from July and August. And some key things that really stood out in this report that I thought was pretty interesting. Because if you remember correctly, the most recent PCE report, which is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, it went the other way. Very small incremental amount, but it went the other way. Kind of scary. Uh-oh. Is the Fed going to overreact to this? The last CPI report also went the other way, mm-hmm. right? Incrementally. So, but Incrementally, but still no longer going down at the cadence that they were hoping for, right? So. Everyone's kind of on pins and needles, like, what is the report going to say that they're going to be looking at, okay? And some of the key things that stood out is they really focused on the job numbers that Mm. were recently put out, which ultimately, I guess, depending on which camp you're in, right? I think we all want this this cycle to stop and release some of the pressures that we're all facing. But here's a quote from the article. Job growth was subdued across the nation. Okay, so... That's the first time we've heard the Fed talk about jobs in this type of manner. All year long, or for the last year and a half, we've heard that the labor market is, is hot, right? Um, you know, there's two jobs for every unemployed person out there. And that's all we kept seeing. So this is refreshing to see that they're taking notice of the downward revisions month over month. They're taking notice of, you know, over, over the last three months, they've been the slowest jobs growth over you know the past year. And um, so that was a little refreshing, right? And then the next quote was, most districts report price growth slowed overall. Mm. So, okay, that's what, and that's what the Fed's trying to accomplish, right? So these are the, the types of things that we want the Fed to be referencing and saying that it, basically what they're hinting at is we're headed in the right direction. And hope, we're hopeful that, okay, maybe they actually will hold. They'll hold right here at five and a half percent for the Fed funds rate until further notice. I certainly am one that hopes they do that, um, given the strain in the markets and what we're seeing on the interest rate side. Although I do the the realtor optimism lately has been really aggravating, and I'm not even talking about like the young, unsophisticated realtors. I'm talking about social media economists, people that are seasoned people that that are in the mortgage business collaborating more than ever talking about how rates have peaked on the on the uh, yield curve and you're going to see you're going to see rates come down in the next couple of months to a year and that it's just going to light the housing market on fire and that home values from here going to go up another 100,000 or 200,000 because as rates go down you know everybody starts buying again all that pent up pent up buying demand and I'm sitting here going like look man at what point do people go, okay, we've hit a, we've hit a, a bit of a, a hard patch. We need to have a correction. At what point do we accept that that's a necessary step to take? Because if you believe this trajectory can continue, right? If you believe the Fed's doing all this just to back off their stance sooner than we expect, like they've told us they're going to do, then I don't know what to tell these people. Like, I, I don't know... How you see this playing out? You see the middle class getting crushed out? Do you see... How, do, how, how does this play out for America if you can't afford to buy a home? To that, to that point, um, I don't know. We, we never actually fully talked about this, but I recently made an appearance on somebody else's podcast, and when, when that comes out, I'll make sure to you know, let plug everyone it. know, plug yeah. it, to make sure that everyone can go over and check it out because your boy was out there doing his thing. Yeah, you, know? you were out there pimping game. Pimping game, you know? But... Um, yeah, uh, the gentleman asked me uh, a really simple question on the middle class. And we've talked about this over and over again. And in the moment, it really dawned on me that this is really true to my heart that I, 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 it hurts to watch this happen. My parents are immigrants, right? They came over here from Afghanistan. They were actually, they, they came from very, uh, you know, they had money from where they came from. And to come over here and have to start all over. And... They literally are, you know, the story of I came here with nothing and they built something and they bought their first little condo 
in L.A. County, right, in Lamita. And that grew and appreciated. It was on the border of Rolling Hills. Yeah. Right? So that appreciated. And then they were able to take that that money that they made over time and now go over and buy, you know, a house in the suburbs, right? And it's thanks to that yeah. that I'm here where I am today. And had they have not have been able to have that first entry-level home and get that appreciation, right? they wouldn't have been able to progress. And they worked hard, you know, and and they were sold the American dream and they bought in and they did it and it worked out for them. Mm-hmm. But it's as of right now, it's not going to work out for millions of people. And yeah, so let, let's just play it forward. We've said this in the show before. If you're the middle class right now, and let's say you're a first-time home buyer, or you're starting a family and you want to buy a home, I know a lot of people right now, today, that are my age that still cannot afford a home because they they didn't think about it before, they weren't working the best jobs before, and now they're in a situation where they really, really, really want one, Mm -hmm. and they cannot do it. I'm engaged with so many listeners, man, that reach out to me and they say, hey, man, I, you guys talk about this a lot, yeah. and I and I thank you for bringing attention to it. I have X amount of money saved up. I have my first kid on the way. Yep. And I, how is it that I make X amount of dollars and I can't afford a home, right? And they're being, at least they're trying to be responsible about it. Man, that's my most common DM, and I feel terrible. I don't know what to say. I'm, I just, all I can say is I'm sorry, man, you know? And the part that, the part that really hurts is, like, they're being responsible, what about the people that are going to try to capitalize on this 1% down payment with Zillow? You know? Fucking I'm like, silly. fuck, dude. Like, you're going you're gonna to screw these people over. You know, the frustrating part about what we do is, is I think people automatically assume that when we do this for the show, mm-hmm. that we're selling something or it's for, like, fame or notoriety. And the frustrating thing is, is it's really to help people, man. It, it's really to try to be a clear, non-biased, like, perspective, right? And I know people, like, ping me all the time or you take shots, you know, why are you qualified? And I get it. There's a lot of economists out there who have all the qualifications in the world and still sound like a complete fucking moron. I get that. Mm -hmm. And I get that we're just people that are talking. But at the same time, it's like, there's so much disinformation in the financial system because people have ulterior motives for what they're saying and why they're saying it that... Yet you hear these people who are truly frustrated because they can't buy a home. Mm-hmm. Truly, like, reaching out to people like us saying, hey, man, like, I don't know what to do. Like, when do you think this is going to happen? Like, I got to prepare. I got to plan. And it's like, those are the people who are getting hurt the most. Those are the people who are getting fucked by the system right now. And people are going, oh, man, hey, the, the probability of recession is creeping down. And in September, it's even lower than it was, you know, in the, in the month before, in the month before that. And it's it's progressing down. In October, it's going to be even less. Watch. Wait and see. That means we're going to have a soft landing. That means everything's going to be okay. And it's like, dude, if we have a soft landing and everything's okay, these people who DM us who are, like, in this really fucked up position are never going to be able to buy a home. Right. And everybody wants to buy this positive happy ending bullshit. Because it's a happy ending for them. It makes them feel good when they drive to work. It makes them feel good when they drive home. It makes them feel good when they go home and look at that credit card bill. But the reality is you got a fucking problem, man. Right. It's a real tangible problem that everybody's ignoring. And that's, yeah. that's the sad part. And and I, the realtors that are out there really pitching this, saying that now's the time to buy the whole Dave Ramsey stick, right? Mm. It's like, you don't believe that, right? Like No, they do. A lot of them do. If you it, then if you if you believe it then, I mean hopefully somebody's out there trying to educate them because, I mean we could sit here and spit out some rosy spin the data however we want and spit out some rosy optimism to make people sit there and feel good like yeah you could do it you just roll the dice figure it out but that, that's not the truth right now. Yeah, and and it's frustrating because, I, I think a lot of economists and a lot of people who are the talking heads on on television. Uh, they're afraid to take a hard line stance because their reputations are tied to being accurate. They want to be the one who called it right in retrospect. That's why I kind of look at someone like a Peter Schiff or a Patrick Bet David, and I go, okay, you know what? They may be hyper-aggressive on what they feel like, but they're passionate about it. They're, they're vocal about it. They're taking the fucking risk of letting you know they think this is going to happen. You know, and, and th- that takes a lot of balls, man. Right. Uh, to go against the system 
and just be candid like that, it takes a lot. It does. And the last part of this uh, beige book that I, I really wanted to chime in on that I thought was important was the quote is, nearly all districts reported that wage growth will slow broadly in the near term. Yeah. So what does that mean? That means your wages go down, unemployment goes up, you got student loan debt payments, the highest credit card, highest non-household debt, high auto loans. Which, by the way, student loan debt already started accruing interest as of September 1st. Yep. That's a problem. Big problem. Um, and Mohamed El-Rain, we recently cited him on the show for something that he said, and he thinks that you know one of the main contributors to this inflation problem, that what's keeping it really so sticky, not only the housing, but wage inflation, mm-hmm. right? Because basically what that is is if people are out there getting jobs that are paying more, right, then they're going to go out there and spend more, right? All, and so it's just a it's just a cycle. Yeah, but the cycle got really fucked up because we ended the year last year with super high inflation. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So what did most people do? They went to their employer and said, if you don't pay me at the same rate of inflation with a salary increase, then I'm effectively making less money next year than I am making this year. So you're now penalizing me as an employee right. for doing a good job because inflation's 9%, but you're only giving me a 5 or 3% pay raise. It's true. And that's the problem with wage inflation, right? If it can go up really, really quickly, if people start earning a lot more too fast, mm-hmm. well, that's just going to spike inflation up that much faster too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a hard thing to try and balance for them. So, um, But one company that's out there right now that is, is having a hard time is the people over at Roku. Yeah. And uh, we've gotten so used to the reductions in force and the layoffs, you know, through the Originally, the lending sector, then the banking sector, the fintech space, the banking sector again, that we we almost forgot about how much it's still going on. And I saw a really interesting article before we get to this that that said that while originally it was silent quitting, yes, the employees were silent quitting. They were basically working and not working, and then eventually getting fired. Yeah, you know, just doing the bare minimum, just bare to get minimum. a paycheck. Right now, companies are silent firing. What does that mean? I haven't heard of this. Basically slowly firing people over time as they start to wrangle in their expenses where it's not a full reduction in force or layoff. Why would a company do that? Because they're trying to control the expenses because they're less profitable, but yet they don't want to deal with the publicity, the bad publicity of Mm -hmm. continuing to lay people off. So they're aggressively managing their expenses down within the context of terminating people for like simple, quick things. Right. But I know with with the reduction in force, though, it could really help your stock price. In some instances, like Roku, yeah, yeah. If you're perceived to be that way, but if you need if you need the help, right, then maybe that's the route you take. Yeah, and let, let's use the banking sector because it's close to home, and, and and I understand it pretty well, right? If you're the banking sector and you've already had one or two or three or four rounds of layoffs that are public, and you still need to do more layoffs, that's a bad look. Now, instead of laying people off, and keep in mind when you lay people off, you're generally giving them a severance of some type. That's true. Maybe it's based on seniority, stuff like that. But that's extra money out of pocket versus if you hold hard to your HR rules and you hold hard to your discipline and your accountability and you say, hey, we're bringing everybody back in the office. That's what we do. That was your job description. You're coming back in. You don't want to come back in. Okay, fine. We're parting ways. Right. And a lot of companies are doing that. And that's the way they're managing their expenses down. Right, right. And I know that's almost like finding a way to make the employees that want to leave because they have to come back self-select, where Correct. where th- you don't have to actually fire them. They're choosing to leave, and that's also bringing your expenses down. In the case like Roku, you saw it, it was a ten percent pop in theirs, or like sell some pop in their yeah, stock. Yeah, so this on. from this from CNBC, Roku stock jumps after company says it will lay off ten percent of their mm-hmm. workforce. Right. Uh, streaming company Roku announced another round of layoffs, which will affect ten percent of its workforce or three hundred and sixty people. Uh, in addition to other cost-cutting measures, the company wow. raised its guidance for its third quarter revenue and EBITDA. Earnings before interest, taxes, taxes depreciation, amortization. And amortization. They have 3,600 employees? I guess. Well, they've already had two. This is a third round of layoffs. Wow. Yeah. They cut about 200 employees in March and then 200 employees in November. So I don't know their business model well enough to, to opine here, but they have to be a really FTE-driven like cost basis mm-hmm. for their company in order to get that kind of a pop. From I them. can't remember what it was, but they also had like hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in a Silicon Valley bank account. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Remember that? Right. Yeah, yeah. It was something wild real like, 
Who's managing this, man? Yeah, I was like, you guys are Roku though. Y'all, y'all are like a shitty streaming platform. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think they're they're bigger internationally. Are they? I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I'm yeah, not, not so big here, but I think they're they're bigger internationally. I'm not sophisticated like you. When I when I travel, I, yeah, I don't all watch all around television. the world. I yeah yeah. I was actually gonna go with I got hoes. <laughs> <laughs> so another company that's actually experiencing a little bit of trouble. Ooh yeah, they don't work. This is uh, this is not good, my friend. No, yeah, they do not work. That's yeah. not what you did there. Yeah, uh, WeWork CEO says they're here to stay as it renegotiates nearly all of their leases. This from an article from CNBC. See, this is the kind of derogatory shit that someone does. Like, <laughs> I can just imagine him walking in, and let's just let's just role play a little bit, right? Well, for those that are uninitiated, tell people what WeWork is first. WeWork was a community working space. You could rent a desk. You could rent a space. You could have your mail forwarded there. They generally had some amenities, coffees, kitchens, stuff like that. It was a pretty cool, hip place to work in theory, but think of it as a low-cost alternative to having an office, right? They were a communal office, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, they grew way, way, way too fast. Uh, I think uh, Matsumoto-san or whatever his name was um, from... Uh, what the hell is that? God damn it. Their, their primary backer. I'm Help me sure. out. Come on. No, I'm, I'm initiated. Sorry. <sighs> I'm gonna, it's going to drive me crazy. The older Japanese guy who like never missed for a while, he operates one of the best funds in the world, and I'm blanking on it. I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. But okay. He originally backed them. They grew way too fast. Arguably a lot of fraud by their CEO, who's ironically getting other, other investments now. But the business model was all fucked up. They grew way too fast. And this is a very, very, very common problem. And I'm going to focus on the growing way too fast. I think it's super helpful. When you grow fast, you have to have a ton of capital. But when you have a ton of capital to grow fast, you still have to mature into your earnings. And if a business model like WeWork is relatively new, like it was at the time, and you're really creating an industry sector, you really don't know if that profit's going to come in. That's it's true. speculative. But explain to people what that means, mature into your earnings. So when you open up a new subway as a franchise, right? Right. Each location is going to get more and more traffic over time. You might come in with a splash and get a lot of people who come there, but it takes a while for the community to know you're there and consistently come in and build your business. You're going to have employees come and go. You're going to figure out the structure. This is also why a lot of really popular franchises like McDonald's or like the Chick-fil-A's, they have high standards. They want to make sure you have, uh, does Chick-fil-A have franchises? I think they do, right? Mm, yeah, they do. Sure. Yeah. They make sure you have a high net worth, high liquidity. They pick the location for you because they want to do all the the scouting, everything else. They want to make sure that the area's got the demographics that they need. And then you have to actually train with them. And then you have to actually be in your business. It's not an absentee owner situation, at least not in the beginning anyway. Meaning the owner has to actually be there. You have to be there and you have to work mm-hmm. because they know it's going to take some time to grow the business into a level like mature income yeah, that's, stream. That's something that um, I never understood growing up uh, up until recently because when I was um, in high school, the subway that opened up like down the street from our house, yeah. the owner was working there mm-hmm. behind, behind the counter. And Very was, common with subways. And ma- he was making the sandwiches. And when he told me he was the owner, I was like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, you're the owner working behind behind the counter? Come on. Like, you're trying to save every last dollar? What's going on? I would like to point, let the record show that this is where Saeed <laughs> proves his racism to you, the audience. The racism? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the racism? Just saying. I didn't mention a single race. I just didn't believe it. I thought he was lying to me. He was like, yeah, I'm the owner. I, I thought he was in... What else were you judging him on besides the way he looked aesthetically? I just, I, I never knew that he would have to, there was an option to be an absentee owner down the road. Subway is one of the cheapest franchises, at least it used to be, uh, to open, from what I recall. They were pretty cheap. Yeah. As far as the requirements go, liquidity, net worth, and everything else. But you'd be surprised. A lot of those don't make a whole lot of money. But let's get back to WeWork for a second, okay? Yeah. Uh, WeWork grew so fast in this space, office space, and then obviously they had a whole shenanigans you know, traumatizing issue at the, at, you know, at the CEO level, the CEO left. There were some numbers that were being fudged. It looks like he certainly reallocated a lot of funds towards personal usage. They got him out. They brought in a new CEO with a model that is now consolidating. The income is not there to support the debt obligations. And what did they do? They go, okay, the office sector is getting fucking just murdered right now. There's a lot of rhetoric out there about the office space being really problematic and that there's a lot of vacancy. So now WeWork is going to renegotiate with all of their landlords. Which is, I mean, I don't even see, understand how this is possible. I, I look, and now I understand 
that the the landlords of these buildings don't have much of an option either, right? Because, yeah, because do you want a zero percent income or <laughs> yeah, do you want yeah. you know fifty percent income? Right, because they're already struggling with the amount of vacancies that uh, they're dealing with. So um, th- that's from an article from CNBC. It went on to say, with its market cap at about two hundred million, WeWork in mid-August announced a one for forty reverse stock split to get its shares trading back above one dollar. Yeah, that's a problem. So what that means, you've heard of stock splits, right? Where your one share could turn into, let's say, two shares, right? And all, all that means is there's more shares to go around to be sold. But they're taking your 40 of your shares and cutting it down to one just so that their stock price could actually go up. Because what does that mean? Because if they're on a certain exchange platform that if they're trading below a certain amount, then they can get kicked off. You can be delisted. You can get delisted. That's, yeah. bad. that's really bad look. Um, SoftBank, the Vision Fund, that's what financed WeWork. Mm. And they they were crushing it for the longest period oh, of time. that's right. That's in the article, too. Yeah, the huge, huge venture capital firm, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And, you know, um, I think it's uh, Masayoshi-san is his name? Anyway, he, he's the guy who, who who really invested in it. He took a big hit reputationally for, for that, whole, that whole debacle. Yeah, but yeah, WeWork's basically putting him over the you know over the barrel. I can just see him walking in to like a landlord saying, "Listen up, pickles, this is how it's going to work." Okay, I'm not going to pay you 100 percent of what I owe you. I'm going to pay you 50, percent and if you don't like it, we're going to leave. Yeah, I feel like this might be one of the first times in a long time that the tenants might have the upper hand on some of these landlords, and they're going to take full advantage of it, which is fucked up because the market's already hurting as it is. I mean, it's fucked up, but I mean, they're they're hurting pretty bad too. Their stock price is down. Hey, hey, hey I didn't hear you coming for commentary, pickles. <laughs> Their stock price is down ninety three percent year to date. Yeah, that's a problem. That hurts. That's a, that's a problem. I honestly think that 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 model will not last in the in the size and scale that they're at. Which is a good point. There are a lot of businesses that work in a small scale structure mm-hmm. that don't work in a large scale structure. Okay. A great example is like cookies and cupcake shops. They generally work in communities that are really rooted with the, 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 the community and the people around it and the culture there. And if you get really ingratiated and maybe you show up at all the birthday parties. But to have a nationwide cookie franchise is extremely rare. Now, there are a couple. Like, I know Crumble Cookies, yeah. they expanded really fast. Really, really fast. But that's also another problem that you see. The ones that do scale fast like that usually last for a period of time and then just completely go like gone MIA one day because it wasn't maintainable. Right. One of my wife's dreams is to own her own bakery one she day. She makes some goddamn good cookies. It's a fucking she does. national treasure, the stuff that she so puts So she out. actually got really inspired by uh, a bakery called Levain Bakery out of New York. And they actually just recently opened one up in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we, ha- we want to go pay to visit uh, maybe this weekend. But um, what she's always wanted to do is have her own bakery. And for shits and giggles, we looked up, you know, if Nothing Bunk Cakes would ever franchise. Um, even though you're obligated to make their stuff, she just really loves baking, right? Um, I think their franchise fee is like 400 grand. Yeah. Right? And they actually, when we went on the website to even just check it out, they wouldn't, um, they're like, we're not expanding right now. But see that that's smart to do, right? And I was like, I actually like appreciate. I'm like, oh, like at least they could easily just accept it, right? Mm-hmm. And just make money hand over fist. But they want the brand to grow. They want the brand to grow. They want to have stability. Yes, and that's where things can get really challenging. Like edible arrangements grew super fast, mm-hmm. and then you know how much they really make. And you can go look at all the franchises disclosures. They're all out there. They're all public. You can get all of them, right? So you can figure out how much these companies are making and how much the franchisees make, which is not a lot. Right. Getting- so I look at the clock like, damn it, Chris, you're going on too long. No, no. Let's say we got to get into these reviews. No, 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 bro. We got to get to the National Association of Realtors lawsuit. Oh, get into it. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, I want to I read that real quick because I did promise somebody that I was going to read that. All right. From the real deal, Anywhere pays, Anywhere's the name of a firm, by the way, mm-hmm. pays $83 million to settle landmark commission suits, deal affecting teams pract- or terms practices. Affecting terms, practices, that's weird. Comes after suits meaningfully impacted Q1 EB, EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, debt and depreciation. I hate that acronym. Okay, you have to also, we've now referenced it twice on the show, and now you have to break it down what it is. All right, <clears throat> so um, how do I break down EBIT? So EBIT, 
in itself, earnings before income and taxes is one metric of a company's like cash flow, like how it's going. Eh, cash flow is probably the right. Yeah, whatever. Then before depreciation and amortization, before the tax deductions that are like really tax write-offs as opposed to that. But you're trying to really figure out how much is this company making? What are its real earnings before they pay taxes, mm -hmm. before they pay interest, before they pay their depreciation and write it off, and before they write off their amortization? Right. Think of it no different than how the Fed likes to look at uh, core inflation. Okay, let's take out some of the the volatile stuff, or let's get to the root of, of the issue here. So it's just a number that you'll be able to reference and compare, you know, the business to. Very good other. reference, yeah. Good, yeah. Good job. Yeah, thanks. And it's also what you typically get multiples off of, tip, multiples off of EBIT or EBITDA. Yeah. Um, anyway, real estate chose to pay an estimated $83.5 million settlement to the plaintiffs to two seismic agent commission lawsuits. Anywhere is the only defendant who has agreed to settle all claims in the antitrust lawsuits of Moeller v. National Association of Realtors and Sitzer slash Burnett versus the National Association of Realtors. The settlement by the parent company of um, Corcoran, Coldwell Banker, Century 21, and Sotheby's International Realty leaves other defendants, including the National Association of Realtors, Keller Williams, Remax, and Home services of america as participants in the lawsuit which is scheduled to start trial in kansas city on october 16th that's, wow wow that's, that's everybody in the game that's right around the corner yeah the the monetary settlement was the most that could be obtained in light of anywhere's available financial resources pretty much we got every drop of blood we could from you yeah uh, Steve Burnman, attorney for Moeller, uh, plaintiffs told Inman, critically, the settlement includes significant changes to anywhere's practices relating to the conduct that we have uh, that we've challenged. Okay, let's get what the hell is this conduct? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, in its first fiscal quarter for this year, anywhere reported its involvement as a defendant in the agent commission lawsuits had meaningfully impacted its operating earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Um. Okay, so they allege that the National Association of Realtors and major real estate companies forced home sellers into anti-competitive systems where a commission is split between listing agent and buyers. Uh, plaintiffs contend this system has resulted in inflated buyer agent fees. Hmm. Mm, okay. National Association of Realtors spokesperson Mantle Williams said that the trade group will not change its participation in the antitrust lawsuits. So who, are they, so who are they really representing? They're representing the agents? Once the amount of compensation is put on the open market and the buyer has to cut a check to their agent, mm -hmm. the payment the buyer's agent typically receives will drop substantially. No buyer will want to cut a check between 25 and 3% of the purchase price, uh, Margulis said earlier in the year. I can foresee buyer's agents getting paid hourly like attorneys. Mm. Wow. That's it. Well, here, you know what? Let's go here. Let's deflect on this, and I'll probably have to dive in more. I want to see more about the lawsuit behind that, so I can't answer the question directly in this particular episode, but we will. We'll come back to it. What I will say is I have long believed, and I know this is going to be very inflammatory, that real estate agents don't deserve a combined, call it 4 to 6% of the deal. Yeah. I'm sorry. They don't. That's going to offend a lot of real estate agents. I'm not saying they're not valuable. I'm just saying that made a whole lot of sense when homes were $180,000. Yeah, exactly. When homes are millions of dollars, we, we've gotten to a bit of an egregious standpoint. But what does, if an attorney works hourly, okay, I get that. If uh, an attorney gets a big award, like a 30, 33, 35% of, of a contingency fee, because they took the risk of not getting paid at all, you could say that's comparable to a real estate agent because they're taking the deal and they might not get paid. But what I will say is the level of subject matter expertise and the level of due diligence required to be a real estate agent then should match that of an attorney. You should have to go through that same level and we should weed out, we should cull the weeds of some of the lower agents so that we really have top-tier professionals. Let's teach them economics. Let's teach them management. Let's have them required to do more detailed and thorough background checks. And let's certainly have public rankings of what these agents are doing. And let's let's try to figure out a way to make it more of a profession instead of welcoming everyone and anyone in after a real estate exam. Because at the end of the day, I'll tell you, optically speaking, from what I've seen from most real estate agents, 
They are transaction coordinators. They're not selling a home. A home sells itself. Mm. Now, there are exceptions. I get that. But generally speaking, the digital world will displace real estate agents the same way it will displace attorneys in a lot of circumstances. Not all, mm. but in a lot of circumstances. Yeah. If the attorneys don't adjust to AI, if the attorneys don't adjust to legal Zoom, they will be out of work. Yeah. If the real estate agents don't adjust to a changing landscape, they too will be out of work. And part of that changing landscape is the way they get paid. That's true. It's true. I got nothing to add there. Nothing. Nothing. Well, I mean, you've long said on the show, but even before the show, that that's something that everyone should, if you know you're going to get ready to buy a home, that didn't just happen overnight. No. You've been hopefully preparing for two, over two years. Get your real estate license. You should all have it. Yeah. I Every mean, single one of you. You should keep that commission to yourself. Yeah. Put that money back into your home. Right. This is coming from someone that doesn't have their real estate license. And I've pushed you. That's going to happen. I've pushed you so hard. Make, make this, we got to make this a, a daytime gig thing so at nighttime I can study, I do I've that. I've pushed you from behind. I've pushed you aggressively. I've pushed you gently. Just not strong enough, man. Sometimes the barriers to entry are difficult for all parties. <laughs> I make it very difficult. Speaking of which, hmm? let's read some reviews. <laughs> let's read some reviews. <laughs> all right. We got two, man. That was, that was we pretty surprising. One is an honest five-star review. One is an honest five-star review. We'll start with that one. This from B-BallFan08. I already like this guy because obviously the eight is for Kobe. Kobe. Yeah, that's yeah. all that reference. Yeah, like, obviously. Even I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Caption the title. Review. I like this. Simple. This is something you all can do. That's effective. Title. Review. Hit five stars and then say. Five stars for you. Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate you. Fucking A, man. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. That right there is a case study on how quickly you can leave an honest five-star review and just fucking do it, man. Where could you do it at? Well, if you were to log on to Spotify and hit the five stars, you could do that. No commentary necessary. If you were to go into your Apple Podcast app, you could hit the five stars, leave a comment. Matter of fact, leave a funny comment like the next review. Right. If you want to go to uh, YouTube, smash the, the like button, hook up with the bell, yeah. you know? <laughs> Slap a pickle. Do whatever you want. Do what you gotta, yeah. Listen, leave a comment down below on how much you love the show. Yeah. You can refer to Saeed as pickles from now on. That's fine. I'm, I'm all for it. That's what it takes. You know, I've called you pickles three times in this episode, and you have not said one thing about it. You're very, very colloquially comfortable with pickles. I'm trying to clean up the show. We've received some criticism. Like what? <laughs> this. I don't even know the name. I don't even know how to pronounce this name. It's okay. Wing it. Uh, I can't, man. Pro, Pro J Noah. I have no idea. That's okay. Pro yeah. J Noah. Come for the insight. Stay for the bromance. I love you, dude. I respect it. I respect it. Rarely do I find a podcast that has a balance between quality insight and entertaining banter. But you found one now. You did. Yeah. Right here. Uh huh. With obvious romantic undertones that I can delight in every morning walk with my dog. Yeah, delight away, brother. I mean, it could be yeah. in the morning, it could be night, it, during, during your lunch break. Yeah. Whatever. Take it in. We're putting it out. It's for you. Whatever floats your boat or finds your lost remote. That's a throwback. Come That's on. That's terrible. Andre 3000, yeah. man. No, I, I know Andre 3000 said it, but he was cool when he said it. You just sounded dumb. Come on. I, what do I no. got to wear to be like? You sound like a Teletubby when you say it. <laughs> Should I dress like Andre 3000 on the next episode? Please do. Please. Bring in your little fucking guitar that he rolls around with. Like, what is that, like a ukulele or some shit? Like, he's rolling around that shit all the time. Never has it been this enjoyable to gain financial literacy. Don't miss this one. Honestly, I just wish I got a bit more forward momentum with the obvious attraction palpable in every exchange by these three fine gentlemen. Two gentlemen. See, one. Yeah, yeah, one of them's not here. Yeah, on him. Or are you referring to him not being fine? You're very, you're very un unclear he's, with that. He's not here. He's, he's, on, he's on PTO. So you yeah you were referring to his chronic absenteeism, not right. his less right. attractive. And speaking stature. of which, you're going to be absent at, at the end of this month. What's going on around here? Yeah, Everyone but you know, unlike you guys, like I'm, I'm down to call in. No, I'm down to Riverside FM. This bitch. I've I've never listened to a podcast that has done that. Oh, lots do that. I, I'm the only one that I actually seen on Mind Pump back in the day. You're listening to Smartless. No, I haven't. Every single one of their episodes, for the most part, there's a couple exceptions, has been recorded remotely via Riverside. Okay, a little newsflash? Yeah. 
Okay, uh, we're not Jason Bateman. <laughs> okay. I feel like I am. <laughs> I know. I know you feel like you are. That's probably more of a Will Arnett. Yeah, you're you're more Will Arnett. Yeah, I'm more Bateman. Nah, I feel like it ruins Bateman. You're Sean. I'm <laughs> Sean. <laughs> okay. But I say okay, bye. So I guess that you know what's funny is I was in the elevator the other day and I was talking to right. I don't want to be the asshole who gets in the elevator and like talks. So as I was leaving my phone call conversation and getting in the elevator. I don't remember what I was talking to, but I went, okay, bye. <laughs> and and I, it's become so like, I don't even think about it anymore, right? <laughs> I get in the elevator, this Asian dude, he's kind of stocky guy, looks like a accountant type of some some shape or form. He looks at me and goes, hey, man, you listen to Smartless, huh? And I go, yeah, yes, I do. Is, is, that, is, is that what they do? Because Sean, whenever he signs off, that's, that's how he ends that, the show. Okay, bye. And I effectively have adopted. You stole it. That's what you did. I stole it. Stole is harsh. You, I mean, yeah, you did. You tried. You tried to make it your own. Yeah. And then Bait. you tried to steal my goodnight, everybody. What are you doing, dude? Is I, that what you do? You just like to steal other people's shit? I've got an identity crisis brewing. <laughs> I know. I don't I don't know who I am anymore. That's okay. We'll help you find yourself. You complete me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. All well, right. Let's end it. Let's go. Good night, everybody. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>